From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up Talk Radio is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they'd always dreamed of. Each week, Powered Up Talk Radio explores innovative ways to stay focused in a world that's experiencing dramatic changes. Find out who you are, discover your purpose, and challenge yourself to be all you can be, right here, right now. Here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. And this is Sandra Beck, and I've got such a great show today. I'm bringing together two experts on isolation, and these guys have it going on. They're so amazing. They're good friends of mine, and I'm so glad to bring them to the airwaves today because they have some specialized training that most of us will never get, will only read about in books or see them on movies. We've got two specialists today who've endured unique types of isolation in their careers. So I'm going to go first to Brian Andrews. Brian Andrews is a best-selling author. He also has a unique history that makes him a best-selling author and applicable to our show about how to handle isolation today. Brian, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Oh, thanks for having me on this show. Like you said, I'm Brian Andrews and um, I'm an author, but Before my author days, I was an officer on a nuclear submarine. So like you mentioned originally, I do have a little bit of personal experience with long periods of isolation, and and that's isolation underwater, to boot. So yeah, happy to talk today and looking forward to uh, today's show. Yeah, and helping our families, you know, as we navigate through this latest challenge. Jeffrey Wilson, welcome to the show. Or I should say, Dr. Jeffrey Wilson. Yeah, no one calls me that anymore, but thank you. Uh, (laughs) Great to be here, as always, with you. We always enjoy talking with you, Sandra. Thanks for having us. So tell us a little bit about your unique history. Well, my, I didn't, uh, I didn't spend very much time on a submarine. I did spend one horrible half a day on a submarine. (laughs) Couldn't wait to swim off of it, even into the dark ocean. But, um, and I think I would argue that Brian's uh, isolation experience was praying for more isolation packed in with all those, those other sailors. <laughs> but um, <laughs> well, I've, I've got a, we, we can't spend the whole show talking about my absurdly uh, schizophrenic background, but I am a physician by training, a vascular and trauma surgeon. I spent most of my medical career in the Navy. Uh, as a uh, surgeon, uh, eventually serving with Naval Special Warfare with an East Coast-based SEAL team where I deployed multiple times. Um, So my experiences with isolation are in big open deserts uh, (laughs) rather than in tiny metal tubes, but certainly there's some, uh, some parallels there. Well, and I think that's really important because, you know, isolation means different things to different people listening today. I myself am isolated with two kids and an 87-year-old man. My sister is isolated with no one. And I think, you know, whether you're in the desert or, like you said, in a tin can in the middle of the ocean, there's certain commonalities that isolation brings. And I'd like to open the discussion with the topic of the mental game. And I think the mental game is the toughest thing because for somebody like me, I work from home, you guys. I live at home. I don't travel unless it's for work every couple months. So to be isolated for two weeks 
isn't that big a change other than the fact my kids are home and I can't freely move about to shop when I feel like it. But why is it so difficult for me? Because it's just this head game. And I'm going to go to Brian first. When you guys are in the submarine and you dive, is there a head game going on? Yes, I think that's a great uh, way to kick things off. When you talk about your life at home, and I think this applies to many, many people, which is we probably spend the vast majority of our time inside. We spend most of our time, we, we get up in the morning in our house we get or our apartment, we get into our car, we drive to work, we're inside work all day. And so the actual amount of time that we spend uh, outside is, is fairly limited for, for a lot of working professionals. Now, if you're an outdoors person, that's, that's a different story. But I think you could make an argument that a lot of people spend the vast majority of their time indoors. And, you know, the joke that I used to make about when people would ask me, how do you persevere in a submarine? I'd say, well, you know, the difference between living and working in a submarine is very, the, the one big difference between that and, and your life is that you have the option to go outside and on the submarine, we just don't. <laughs> so I wasn't spending that much more time indoors than I was before. I just didn't have the option to go outdoors. And so I think, you know, the first thing you want to try to do in these situations is just say, you know what, um, tell yourself, I can manage this, I can handle this, okay? This is not a whole lot different than what I do on a daily basis. And, and if it takes you writing down saying, well, how much time do I actually spend outside? And you put it down on paper, you might be surprised, you know, a little bit of math, you might find out, wow, I only spend 8% of my day outside. So, you know, this is not that big of a change for me. That might be one thing to, to start off with. And then I think the other thing to do, and this is something that we did uh, underway, is, you know, you have this import mindset and you have the underway mindset. And I think the minute that you close the hatch and you hear that submarine diving alarm go off, you know, the ooga, ooga, and dive, dive. The minute you hear that, I think, the people that are successful, they, they flip a switch in their head and they say, okay, now I'm underway. And I'm not going to think about those things that I can't do. I'm going to focus on my job. So I think within this new reality, it's important to say, I have to establish a new routine. Brian, I'm just going to stop you for a minute here, and um, I want to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor today is Audible, and Audible is spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E, and for those of you playing along at home, you can go to audible.com slash powered up or text powered up to 500-500, because Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs. They've got news, they've got business, they've got self-development. And, you know, we're talking about handling isolation today, and Brian Andrews and Jeffrey Wilson have a book on Audible. You're going to want to look them up and uh, check them out. And the nice thing about Audible is you can download these titles, you can listen offline, anytime, anywhere, and the app is free. And it can be installed on all smartphones and tablets, and the best part is you can listen across devices without losing your spot. Now, what that means is you can listen on your iPhone, you can go over to your computer, you can pick up your tablet, and the audiobook will pick up where you left off. And so that's really awesome, so you don't lose your spot. And if you can't decide what to listen to, you can keep your credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series, which is super fun. Now, 
If you want to get this um, free trial, what you need to do is go to audible.com slash powered up or text powered up to 500 500. That's audible.com slash powered up or text powered up to 500 500. You're going to be glad you did. There's so much there to, uh, to do. And as you're establishing your new normal, which is what we're talking about, um, I would put audiobooks into your new routine. Now, now, Brian, we were talking about establishing this new routine. Where do you start? Sit down and say, okay, what is my new routine going to look like? And that first step of saying, okay, I accept this new reality. I'm going to establish a new, new routine. That does uh, two things. One, it gives you a little bit of personal empowerment because now you're sort of taking ownership of your situation. And two, it adds a certain measure of predictability. And I think for human beings, we like predictability. It helps reduce our anxiety. So um, the minute you accept that new reality and start working on your new routine, it doesn't have to be carved in stone from day one. This, this is a fluid operation. Um, but that, that will set you on the path to reducing your anxiety and putting some order in your life. Love that. Now we're going to go over to Jeffrey Wilson because I'm sure I know Jeff, you got something to add. Oh yeah. Well, so I think I love everything that Brian said and I think it's exactly right. Mindset is everything. And I think, you know, a couple interesting things came to mind while, while uh, Brian was talking. One is what isolation is. You know, we start by defining isolation. You know, like you said, you work from home. Your isolation isn't being alone. It's, you know, for you, like for me, I'm isolated now in that I'm still at home where I work every day, but now there's more people here because right. my kids aren't off at school and my wife isn't going to her job. So I think if we define isolation maybe a little differently, if we say, you know, it's really separation, right? In a deployment, I'm around people, but I'm separated from my loved ones. I'm separated from my wife or my children. I'm separated also from my routine, which I think what is what Brian was getting at. There's a separation anxiety in that your sense of normalcy is linked directly to what your normal day is like. And so when you can say, well, I'm, I'm in a separation from normalcy, all I have to do is establish a new normalcy and, and I'll get through this. And I think that's really the mindset. Certainly that's how it works on deployment. You know, Brian was saying he gets in his underway mindset you know, in my community, we just talk about the deployment mindset. You have your at-home Jeff and your deployment Jeff. And the moment the wheels are in the well and you're heading off to some horrible place, you're in the deployment mindset. And like Brian was saying, you're focused on that job. And it almost sounds cold-hearted to those of us with families that, you know, okay, I'm not going to think about my wife. I'm not going to think about my kids. And it's not that you don't think about them. It's that you don't pine for them. It's that you don't put little notches on the wall, counting down the days. When will I see him? You get into a day-by-day routine of this is the mission for today. Let's get it done. This is the mission for today. Let's get that one done. And before you know it, the days, the 90, 180 days of missions are over and you're coming home to your loved ones. And it does actually seem like the blink of an eye. And I think that's what we try to apply here, right? This is our new normal. Like Brian was saying, the key to succeeding is embracing it but also establishing a new normal routine that will work. What are you focusing on today? Is it, you know, making sure your kids are okay? Is it getting through your work with the distraction of children playing downstairs? Whatever it is, make your new routine and then just do it day by day. And you'll blink your eyes and the coronavirus pandemic 
will be winding down and you'll be returning to your new state of normal. So we've separated from normal, but it's coming back. Let's find a new one and, and get through it and, and rely on each other. You know, don't do it alone. Don't feel isolated. Right. Well, then, you know me, I'm a leadership junkie. You know, I love leadership. I love, I always tell the kids like, look, I'm going to lead you through this divorce. I'm going to lead you through this court thing. I'm going to lead you through, you know, what's going on with our, with our mortgage. Thankfully, you know, everything's resolved. So we're all good and safe in our home. And I think when crisis comes, whether it's from the outside or from the inside, I think having a mission, you know, I'm very mission focused. It's kind of like mission should be my middle name, but my mission is to see my children through this latest, whatever you want to call it, and to provide for them and myself as sane a moving forward as possible. You know, so that means like when I get up in the morning, that means, you know, the kids have their chores. I have my chores. My dad has his chores. You know, we've been using this opportunity, this gift of time, because many of us have hit a pause button for certain aspects of our life. You know, for me, I can't coach the swim team. There's lots of things my kids can't do. Well, you know what? Guess what? This is a really good time to clean out the garage, to clean out the kitchen. We pulled everything out of my kitchen, guys. I realized I'm a pot hoarder. Like, I had no idea because <laughs> they kind of all like slid to the back. And then my kid was underneath the, the stove going, Mom, how many frying pans do you have? And I'm like, way too many. You know, so we parceled these things off because when else are you stuck at home and what can you do to make use of that time? You know, if you are a business owner working from home, check your systems. You know, the first thing I did, my office looks like a bomb went off. You guys will attest to that. You can see it. There are papers a mile wide. Usually I'm neat and tidy, but I've been going through every folder going, keep toss, keep toss. What do I need to do? How can I reorganize my systems? I also went and cleaned all my Macs this morning. I bought a software program that cleans my Macs. Now these are things I want to do, but I never have time or they get pushed to the back till my systems are running slow. So part of my mission with this, when the universe hit the pause button for many of us was What's on my to-do list that's not getting done? What's on my, you know, New Year's resolution list that's not happening? We cleaned our garage out. We put gym equipment in there. We borrowed gym equipment from a place that allowed us to borrow it. So I think it's more of a time to mobilize your mission, whatever you assign that mission to be, because you just can't sit around watching CNN, cruising the internet with more fear-based materials. I mean, that doesn't help. What do you guys think about having a mission for your family to get through this crisis? Well, I think that's exactly what you need to do. I think that's what we should all be doing. Find a mission, whether it's something you can pitch in and do together at home. I can tell you that for kids especially, you know, I've got four kids. Um, and for our kids, last week was spring break. And so there was no mission and that was okay. It was a little frustrating because we were stuck all here together because we have, you know, quarantined ourselves in the house unless we have to go out. And um, we went on some bike rides and that sort of thing. But today they started their virtual school back. Yeah. Um, our kids' school is doing a full school day online. They had Zoom video chats. And so today the kids got in their routine of getting work done. We got in the routine of doing our thing. My wife's a teacher, so she was also running her classes. And I will tell you, this day was awesome. Usually the going back to school and work day isn't that fun, but having that task having that mission for them of learning how to do the school, having, you know, my mission of helping them and still getting my writing done. 
it really made the day just fly by. So whatever the task, whatever the mission, I agree, be mission oriented and you'll find the time was productive for one thing and it flies by for another. Mm -hmm. Brian, how about you? Yeah, I love both your points. I think, uh, you know, Sunder, you stole one of my, one of my, my points. No, it's great though. I was going to say, I think when, um, when the outside world is so crazy and you feel like everything is out of control, um, inside your domain, if you can exercise some control um, and pro- pro- provide some order and structure to your life, that will dramatically reduce your anxiety. So, you know, that, that's exactly what we did over the weekend. Uh, we did spring cleaning. Yep. And, you know, just getting the house cleaned up, picked up, you know, windows clean, dust, carpets vacuumed, all that sort of stuff. Now suddenly you you feel more in control in your space, right? And so as you provide order to your space, you can't we can't control what happens with the virus, but we can control our domain. And so I think that's important, you know, that that reduces anxiety and then like you said, you get a real sense of accomplishment as you cross things off the honeydew list. Yeah. You know, in your to-do list. So you are, you know, moving your own personal goalposts down the, you know, down the field. You're, you're, you're making progress in your own life, even if the world feels like uh, it's falling apart. Well, this is such a great pause button for many of us. You know, it feels like Christmas break, you know, when the kids are off school, except I don't have to wrap, cook, clean, put up a tree, you know, all these millions of things to do. And that's what kind of hit me going, you know what? I can get to some of these things that I want, you know, the closet that nobody's ever seen the back of in my house. We pulled all that stuff out. And I'll tell you with two teenage boys and an 85 year old man that can sort, we were rocking. Like, you know, the stuff's coming out. I'm like, okay, this goes to donation. This we can give to so-and-so this will go to the school. This is a library book that should have been returned two years ago. You know, it was amazing. It was like an architectural um, uh, excavation in there to, to find out what's in there. But I know, that everybody has things in their house or in their business that bugs them. Like for me, I have this recycle bin, guys, where when I print stuff out, I like to reuse paper. I'm never certain if I need something again. So I have this like metal box underneath my desk here and I throw paper in it. And then twice a year, I flip it over, see what's left there, whatever I can use for scratch paper, whatever has to be shredded, like goes out. Well, I didn't do that at Christmas, so I got that done. And walking around your house with your phone or a piece of paper or around your office even and go, what can I improve? Because I'm a big improvement girl. I know, you know, Jay Edwards Deming said that right after, you know, World War II. What can we do to improve the systems in our home? Because good homes have systems, just like the military. We have a system for dinner. We got one kid on plates, another kid on dishes, Mm -hmm. another one on, you know, I cook. And if I cook, I'm not cleaning, you know, and, and Max is the floor sweeper and the floor mopper. You know, we have systems. And it's a good time, I think, to evaluate your systems in your home and your business for improvement, because most of us are so busy working in our business and in our home, we're not working on it. And I think this this kind of global pause button has given us all time to reflect on how to improve our systems, even if it's how to improve your morning routine, which I want to ask you guys, because I'm a big believer in morning routines. I have a certain morning routine that I do that just sets my day off right. 
I'm going to ask you guys, who wants to go first and share with me their morning routine? Because once you identify what works for you, you are like a rocket that launches every day versus like crawling out of bed. I'll, I'll go ahead and go, I guess. Um, so my, my morning routine is forced upon me, um, which is good because, uh, as I mentioned, I have four kids for some reason. Um, so my kids have to go to school. My wife is working now. She's working as a teacher. And so she actually leaves because she has a bit of a commute before the kids are even up. So my morning routine is focused entirely around the kids. And there's so much to do, as you, I know, are well aware. It's so structured that it gets me into the day. And because they, I have a young preschool age kid too, I'm packing lunches, I'm getting them all set up, I'm getting them dressed and making sure they have their uniforms on, et cetera. I, and we go to a private school, so I'm driving them to school, then I'm going to the next school. What's fun for me as a writer is that a lot of that time is sort of getting the creative part of me going too. So while I'm making lunches, I'm thinking about what Brian and I talked about the night before we wanted to accomplish today. And the hour and a half spent making lunches, packing cars, getting kids, dropping them off, and then coming home and getting writing. By the time I open my Mac, I've got like an hour of work that it just wants to pour out of me. And there's no question that having that structure and routine helps me. Mm -hmm. I will say the one hard thing about this past week with the isolation that we're talking about has been losing that routine. I don't love making lunches and packing up kids, but it's amazing how paralyzed I am to get started when that routine gets taken away. Yes. And so like you're saying finding a new routine, finding a new normal is imperative if I'm going to be creative and get the work done. Mm -hmm. Brian, how about you? What does your morning look like? M mine is similar to Jeff's because we, we lead very parallel lives. Both of our wives work and, you know, when the kids are in school, um, I, I do a lot of the same things that Jeff said. So I, I get them up, I do the lunches and pack their bags and get them out the door on time. And then after that, you know, I would say the one other thing I try to do uh, each morning is stretch for 15 to 30 minutes, uh, just because I know I'm going to be sitting for a big portion of the day. And I, I've just found for me, it helps with uh, back pain and joint pain and stuff if I can stretch. And, um, you know, the days that I have the discipline to do it, um, I'm much better off. And then after the stretching's done, I usually have a small breakfast and I head into, um, into my office. And one of the things I like to do uh, when I kick off my writing day is just sort of review and read what, what I read, wrote the night before. And, and if Jeff has written something new and he sent it to me, I'll, I'll read that in the morning to sort of see, okay, where was I yesterday? And then, you know, sort of think about where I want to go today. And I think, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a writer or not that just that little bit of reflection time on, okay, what did I accomplish yesterday and where do I want, where do I want to end up at the end of today? I think is a helpful routine for people, no matter what, what your occupation is. It is. And then I get to work, you know, and then I get to work and, and that's my morning. Well, and my morning guys actually begins the night before as, as funny as this may seem. And I, I still find myself doing this even though I don't have the same morning routine right now, I actually lay out my workout clothes the night before. 
and I hang them. I have this like, I have two chairs and a fireplace in my bedroom and they kind of sit there and I'm like, I lay, and I even put my sneakers there and my socks on my sports bra, you know, overkill, but you know, everything's there. So there is no excuse. And I cannot walk to and from my bathroom without seeing those clothes. <laughs> and so, you know, it's kind of like my own little guardrail because given my own devices, most of the time I would sleep till 10 and wall yeah. around and, you know, maybe bake a cake or put some fancy dinner together and not get my work done. I know myself. And without the regimen of my fitness classes that I teach, I don't, I'm not ordered to go to the gym. I'm not getting paid to go to the gym. You know, I had to put those guards rails in place because I know myself. So now, you know, I have my clothes there, but the night before I actually keep a day planner by my bed. And this is just a silly little thing I do, but it works really well. It's just one of those you know, kinds with the Monday through Friday spaces, nothing major in there. And it sits by my bedside with a pen. And every night before I go to bed, or most nights, I open it up to that little blank space for the day, and I write my intentions for tomorrow. And I will tell you, when you write your intentions and then go to sleep, that's the first thing that you wake up in the morning. Like, like my thing was, I'm going to be, you know, perky and, and, um, entertaining for my three radio performances today. I'm going to go up and help my friend vaccinate her puppies. You know, we have 20 puppies up there to vaccinate. And I'm going to be a light until the world. And you guys, I hauled ass in here to get to this radio show. Look at me, I'm full of dog hair. And, but I got it done. And I find if I set my intention the night before to what are the big three that I need to accomplish? And be a light unto the world is always one of my things to accomplish. But that just sets me off at night to go to sleep. And then I wake up in the morning and I'm raring to go. I don't know. Maybe there's some like neuro programming thing I'm doing, but it's just a simple little calendar. It's got a leather cover and it says, you know, she can do anything with God. All things are possible. And I put my big three down and you know what I hit those big three because they're kind of in there before I go to bed. And I don't know, maybe I ruminate my subconscious might be doing things, but I'll tell you if I have something tough that I'm handling, if I set my intention to resolve it tomorrow, I will. Yeah. I think that that process of, of getting your thoughts down on paper, it does help with, you know, giving your brain sort of this, you know, brain check to say, okay, I can go to sleep and I, I, I have a plan for tomorrow. I don't have to ruminate over this all right. night. Because I think that's what a lot of us do, especially folks that have responsibility when you're a parent and you have, you have so many things on your plate, you know, that time when you lay down to go to sleep, unfortunately, sometimes our brains, you know, take that opportunity to say, all right, well, how can I optimize? Well, how do I deal with this problem? And and that's really, you know, something that's maybe better left to a fresh mind in the morning. And, yeah. and, and, you know, you can let your brain think of these things. Maybe you'll come up with a solution while you're sleeping, but you're just certainly not going to come up with a great idea and solve the world, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, pacing around your, your room with insomnia. So I, I like that idea, what you're saying. It's like sort of void my brain and and give myself permission to go to sleep. And that was one of the things I was going to say earlier, as I was just thinking about, you know, in this time, whether you have all this external anxiety, 
that is one thing that you can do. Um, and these are certainly not sold out, but you know, if you, if to some of your listeners, you know, if you are having trouble sleeping, do, do think about ways that you can get that sleep because that's going to improve, um, not just your emotional health, but your physical health too. And I think we all need to be aware of the fact that, you know, if we're isolated for two weeks, the coronavirus is not going to go away. This is a long-term slog we're up against. And I think that they will come up with a vaccine and therapeutics are on the horizon. But I I do think that it's maybe premature to say, okay, in two weeks, you know, this thing's going to be over. So we all need to be in as good a health as we can so that if we are exposed to this, um, you know, in the coming months, you know, we're, our bodies are best prepared to fight it off. And I think sleep is an important part of that. Yeah, sleep is huge. I mean, we go over here to dock for sleep. Um, but one of the things I just wanted to say, like really quick about your things, no idea I've ever come up at two in the morning to solve something is anything less than the stupidest thing I've ever created. <laughs> okay, so, you know, that's just like right off the bat, you know, we're going to say that. But also, there's a lot that we don't know about the spirit body brain. You know, we know we have a physical brain, but what is the mind? Is it just like energetic little things? You know, for those of you who have faith, whatever your faith may be, we have the spirit. So I always like to say before I go to bed, I'm going to put, turn my body off and I'm going to let my mind and spirit take over. And then I can get up in the morning and that's just a little game I play with myself, but it allows me to go to sleep. All right, doc, tell us about sleep. And how do you sleep in the middle of the desert when you're isolated and people are shooting at you? Give us some good tips. Well, one of the ways you do that is by being really, really tired. Uh, that definitely <laughs> helps. Um, but I think that any job, you know, it's, it's dramatic to talk about deploying with SEALs and, you know, being on combat cruises on submarines and stuff. But we've been talking for most of this conversation about finding a normal. And it is true that, believe it or not, that can become your normal. I can tell you there was a time we, we conducted an operation uh, way back in 2005 around this big lake not far from Ramadi. And it was a huge coordinated mission that we were supporting. And so we were moved forward uh, up to the forward edge of this battlefield where we set up this little tiny tent camp. And that's where we were for about five days. And we had one of those big 155 millimeter guns in the encampment and they were using it to shoot a looms, you know, to give light to various operations. So on the first night, that thing was going off about every, just about time you'd be able to fall asleep again. That thing that's only a, you know, 50, 80 yards away would fire off and you'd be, oh, you know, would jerk you awake. The second night I woke up on day three and the first thing in the morning, I was like, oh man, thank goodness they weren't firing off those alums because I finally got a good night's sleep. And my teammates were like, what are you talking about? They were shooting that thing off every 45 minutes. But my new normal became that distinctive sound, which was not a threat. And my brain was able to say, ignore that, continue to sleep. And so I think finding structure, finding normalcy in your new normal is the key to health, like you both were saying. It's the key to finding the sleep. Um, I will tell you now in my writing career, maybe I'm, I know all three of us are writers, but I'm going to be the dissenting view. I've written some really cool stuff at two in the morning. It's not my norm, but there, when you've been busy with the kids and then you sit down at six and you read Brian's last chapter and it's got your gears turning, you put it all off, you spend time with your wife, you go to bed, you sleep soundly, and at two in the morning, that voice wakes you up and says, 
I know how to make that even better. And you run to your office and do it. I, I do do that sometimes. Okay. I that don't I think agree is, you should avoid that. Right. But you're not problem solving at that point. And, you know, we want to put a shout out to Jocko Willing because he was at the other side. He was in Ramadi probably while you were running around, you know, snoozing by the lake. I'm just teasing you. Um, <laughs> but, um, but that was something that was like an epiphany. That was like a download. That was, you weren't waking up to try to solve something. Like, okay. you know, when you have some big phenomenal problem, like for me, it was my mortgage and I would wake up in the middle of the night. I'd go to the bathroom, walk around and go, I'm going to sell my blood. I have an extra kidney and I got lots of hair and I don't diet. I bet I can get $200 for my hair. I mean, these were my solutions at 2 a.m. But the flip side, I will tell you with my kids being home, with my dad here all the time, with constant noise, which is going on down the hallway, which makes me want to just choke someone right alive on the air. Um, when I, when my kids go to bed, by 11.30, 12 o'clock, there's a peacefulness in my house. And that's actually when I get up and I do my best work. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you have your routine, right? And I guess that's the one thing I will say medically about sleep. Um, you know, you learn in tough situations to sleep anywhere. You know, you've got guys will tell you stories about sleeping up, standing up in the shower for the five minutes they had to shower and sneaking. When, when you're a resident, you sneak a nap here and there. But that is not the kind of sleep that maintains health. It keeps you barely alive, right? And Brian and you have both talked about setting up a routine. You really do need to structure sleep into that routine and finding ways that you both have talked about to turn your mind off to say, okay, I have generated my list for tomorrow and tomorrow I will solve these problems. There's no reason to think about it tonight is definitely a good part of that routine. But if you can't set six to eight hours aside mm -hmm. in regular intervals, you are not going to be healthy. And there is no question that a lack of sleep depresses your immune system, makes you vulnerable to infection. So it is a very, very important part of our health. Agreed. Absolutely. And I think what we're giving today, like, you know, my dad would always say this permission to rest, you know, permission to rest. Right. And we have to give ourselves permission to rest. And I think during some of these times where we're constantly bombarded with negative information, you know, and we're reminded, like today I went and helped vaccinate some dogs and um, I was reminded on the way there of how odd the situation was because it's Los Angeles and there's no one on the freeway. There are fast food places all the way around. There's nobody parked. Everybody's in the drive-thru. So there's lots of subtle subtle hints and some not so subtle hints that we are living in something, whatever this is, whether it's media created panic or whether it's really a pandemic, that's up for the, the you know, somebody else to decide. We're just going to accept that we are all struggling with a new normal. But the skills that we acquire during this new normal, and this is what I told my kids, you guys don't like it that you can't go out. You guys don't like it that there's uncertainty. And this is something that cancer patients or people with terminal illnesses or people with undiagnosed illnesses face every day. This is something that people face when they go through a foreclosure. I've been through both, you know, and so I recognize the similarities. And I think that this is an ideal time to work with your kids, the next generation, about resiliency. Because I almost cried when my Amazon order was delayed two days because I'm like Pavlov's dog. I get on my phone, I order it. Two days, I have my new journal. I have my fuzzy socks. I have all the things that are important to me that in the grand scheme of things are just stupid. But that's the world we live in. We live in fast food. We live in, you know, my dad bought all this stuff a couple of weeks ago, guys, because 
he's like, Stan, I've been watching what's going on in China. We need to stock up. And he goes and he comes home from Sam's Club with cases of water, toilet paper, canned foods. Who eats corned beef and hash? He bought those things, but now I'm glad because we're using them. And what I thought was like my dad being a goofy old man, he actually recognized from World War II, he thought panic would come and he was right. And so these are great lessons that we talk about over our dinner table because you got to eat together. There's no excuse for swim practice, volleyball. So what's your dinner conversation with your family? It should be about resiliency. Now, you guys probably trained your kids like my kids. We are resilient. We are go. We got our go bags. Like, you know, it's just an occupational hazard. But what kind of conversations can you have with your kids? Like, one that I had last night was about my fuzzy socks being delayed two days and how spoiled I am. And can you imagine a world without Netflix, YouTube, and all the things we do to pass the time? I mean, are we really struggling is my point. Right. I think that's a great point. Go ahead, Brian. Well, I was just going to say, I think that the dinner table is a good, a good place to have these types of conversations. And I think one of the things that uh, my wife and I try to do is give uh, our kids at dinner, we have a sort of routine where we give them each a chance to talk and they can talk about whatever is on their mind and the other siblings are not allowed to interrupt them. They can talk about their day, they can ask a question, they can tell us about something they're proud of. So they each get a chance to do that and then we also go around the table and each person has to say something that they're grateful for. And I think, um, you know, that's sort of our normal routine, but in this coronavirus era, one of the things that that we've talked about with them is trying to convey the sense that, you know, this is not normal. This is different. And you can, you if you're afraid, you can talk about what you're afraid about. If you have questions, you can ask us questions about this. And we've tried to not um, sugarcoat you know, what this is all about. You know, we, we've tried to be realistic, not to scare them, but we want them to understand how serious this is. And I think sometimes when you talk to children, if you give them a little more credit than their age, you know, think about instead of trying to talk to a six-year-old like a three-year-old, talk to a six-year-old like a nine-year-old. And, right. and you might be surprised at, you know, the complexity of what they're able to understand and think about. And so, so that's been interesting for us to talk to our kids that way. So how about you, Jeffrey Wilson? Are you having what we have in my house, which is one brother punches the other and says, coronavirus, you're infected. <laughs> um, but it's also a very healthy, fun way to deal with it. I mean, boys do punch each other and that's part of life. We haven't had, we haven't had that, but um, <laughs> you know, we like Brian, I think that, you know, Wendy and I are very, very family focused people, just like both of y'all are. And so I think that people that have that tight family dynamic, an interdependence that is day by day, don't find themselves scrambling to find it when something like this happens. It's there. It's always been there. But we do have to address things, especially our kids are, our youngest is four. She doesn't understand what the hell's going on, but she knows it's scary because she sees snippets on TV or whatever. And so she's disconcerted. What we've been focusing on is our faith and our family. And so we've always talked about our faith at the table. That's uh, our dinner table is also a very important routine for us. 
Um, we take turns saying the blessing. It's nothing cuter than to listen to your four-year-old, thank God for creating such a nice world and great brother, that kind of thing. So we talk about those things, but we've been trying, like Brian, to just be very upfront with this. And what are you worried about today? What are you doing today? But the other thing that we do is we try to empower them with tools, um, even if they sound silly and very, you know, internally focused, like, what are you going to do today to help Ashley, your little sister, feel better? What can you do to help Jack because he's not maybe as good in this thing that he's working on online in school? And so we try to give them a boosted interdependence that gives them that mission and task that we were talking about for us as adults. Now Jack starts his day thinking, I have a mission to make Ashley not scared. And Emma's thinking, I have a mission to help Jack through the language portion of school today or whatever. And it helps them more than they, than they know. And so we've been trying to focus on that interdependence. And I've been amazed with our kids. They, you know, the amount of time that our nine or our 11 and 12 year olds spend playing with their four-year-old, which ain't that fun when you're 11 and 12, is so impressive. I mean, yes, they have times where they're like, okay, I'm tired, but they really do it. And, and even our four-year-old seems to know it's okay. It's time to let Emma have her alone time to text her friends and do her thing. And she's been more independent than ever. And so watching them rise to the occasion has been really amazing. But I do believe that it's two things. One, you know, dealing with it up front, like Brian was saying, but also you're not going to create it in the vacuum of this quarantine. If you weren't doing this, for the last 10 years with your kids, you're in trouble. And that's, and that's unfortunate. So. Right. And you better start planting those seeds now. Like, Absolutely. that's what I'm like. That's why when we review our families, we review our systems, review our things. And I also think you need to empower your kids. I've seen this since I was diagnosed with cancer and caring for my 85 or 86, 87 now year old dad. Oh my God. Um, but you know, my boys are charged with the mission and I'm like, look, you guys need to keep grandpa safe. Your job is to make sure, you know, you drop your clothes when you come in in the laundry, you know, don't hug him, even though he comes over and wants to hug you, he forgets, you know, things like that. And then, you know, here's your jobs around the house because I cannot do all of this. So it's, you know, Corona plus cancer plus old person, but the sense of pride that my children get, like this morning when I was going off to help vaccinate some dogs, I said to Zach, hey, you know, get your laundry together. He's like, mom, it's already in the, in the dryer. Like, huh? I would rather have my kid tell me off at 13, roll his eyes and be like, it's already done and have him already empowered enough to take care of everything without me asking. You know, these are really good life skills for them to have. And it's a great thing, especially for our teens, for those of you who are parents of teens out there. I mean, there's nobody more self-absorbed and self-everything than teenage kids. But so to give them things to say, hey, can you go across the street and see if Gail needs her lawn mowed? Because you can go in there and mow her lawn. You know, you don't have to talk to her, but you can go and mow her lawn for her because we can't get people to help and she's elderly. These are things that create courage in children. They create integrity. They create honor. And this is a great time in our country that we can plant these seeds in our young people and in ourselves to get us in alignment with a new normal and a better future. I'd like to thank Jeffrey Wilson and Brian Andrews uh, for being my guests on the show today. I also encourage all of you, if you guys like these guys today, check out their books. They're amazing. They are best-selling authors. Their books are rocking cool. I have them in my nightstand. I'm bringing you guys to my chemotherapy tomorrow. And um, I will be sitting there all, you know, I didn't want to listen to Jocko anymore. I couldn't take that anymore. For those of you that want to read Jocko Willig's book, um, 
but I'm bringing you guys with me. And that's what it's all about. We'll be back again next week with another great show. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up Talk Radio is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they'd always dreamed of. Each week, Powered Up Talk Radio explores innovative ways to stay focused in a world that's experiencing dramatic changes. Find out who you are, discover your purpose, and challenge yourself to be all you can be. 